Well, our congregation is larger at least by four this week from from last week. We're glad to have Ilum and Ellen and Lois and Miriam. I don't know where she, there she is. We're glad to have you all back. Welcome back. And we thought that uh, you as a congregation would like to hear some a little bit, some highlights and some spiritual blessings or whatever. So Brother Ilum is planning to share with us this morning and and then I'll share the message follow. So Lord bless you, Brother Elam, as you share what you have prepared. First of all, I'd like to thank you all for your prayers in our behalf as we are on our trip. But before that, I, I wasn't maybe thinking about this, about our birthday party being today announced today. And let me back up. And you, car, you as a congregation, blessed us with a with a fellowship meal and retirement here recently. And our family was talking about doing something for my birthday, and I said, "Well, wait a minute. Let's don't have two birthday parties. Let's just have one." because mine is in April and hers is in uh, November. So that's why they decided on July. And don't worry, our 50th wedding anniversary is in April and, and you won't be invited to that because we've already been there and done that. We went to Israel and that's our celebration for our 50th, our trip to Israel. So thank you for your kindness. So there was, uh, and so you all that were on the trip with me, you three, if you think, well, why didn't he say this? Why didn't he say that? Well, I don't have time. So in 10 or 12 minutes, I don't have time to put three weeks in 10 or 12 minutes. I, don't, I can't do that. So there was 45 of us basically on the tour. We all met at uh, O'Hare in Chicago, went to Israel. There were 12 ordained couples, there were five single ladies, there were two widows, and the rest were couples. And so we, Ellen and I were the oldest ordained couple. And you know, we were in Jerusalem for a, a number of nights, and our tour guide, our bus driver, was a Palestinian lufti, or... Okay, let me back up. Uh, Dwayne and Virginia Troyer were the people that sponsored our tour, and they were with us all the time. And in each country or locality, they would hire tour guides. And in Israel, pretty much the whole time, uh, Armin, a Palestinian, was our tour guide. And he was hired by Gabby, and Gabby owned the bus lines and, and did other tours. But they said this was the first time that Gabby was with us also the most of the tour. And so he, he enjoyed being with us and so on. So, of course, their native tongue is Arabic. And so all of our guides spoke in broken English, you might say. And so we, we toured Jerusalem and... You know, to stand there on the Mount of Olives, I mean, I'm sorry, not on the Mount of Olives, but stand there. Well, let me back up. The first thing on our tour was to go to a museum and to see a model 
of the city of Jerusalem and to get everything in this model, we could see all the gates and all the walls and, and, and get everything kind of in mind before we went out and saw the real thing on tour. And you know, as we stood there in Jerusalem, it gave you a tremendous perspective to see the, you know, over here's the Mount of Olives, and down here is Gethsemane, and over here is uh, Caiaphas' house where Jesus suffered. And it just, you know, a couple days after I was in Jerusalem, when I would read the Bible in the morning, it just said, wow. It just added a new dimension. It just bring, bring it to light. And I would recommend all of you sometime in your lifetime if you could go to, to Israel. Now, it's not like the Muslims that go to Mecca once in their lifetime, but it's, it's a blessing if you can go. And uh, Jerusalem is a divided city. You know, the Muslims have control of the rock of the dome. And you know, there's, there's uh, secular Jews, there's Orthodox Jews, there's Messianic Jews, there's Arabs, there's Muslims, and all in this tiny area, and they fight at times, and then they get along, they tolerate each other, and, and it was just a blessing to be there. And it was a blessing to see how God worked on this tour. We had, you could say, small miracles, and there were larger miracles, and you could just feel God leading in this tour. And somebody said that one day we walked uh, six or seven miles of various sites as we toured around, and the next day, it said on our schedule, you will not have a bus because you're going to walk close here in Jerusalem. And don't you know, that very night it rained, and they provided a bus because it rained. And the tour guide, the Palestinian tour guide, said it does not rain in Jerusalem in June. It just doesn't. See how God provided for us? We didn't have to walk near as far because it rained. And, and that was a blessing. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't a hard rain, but it was just enough rain they didn't want us to be walking. And, you know, our tour guide us. Uh, spoke in broken English so he wouldn't get his English words right and he he would say something like over there on the Mount of Olives is 150,000 tombs and those people have to pay a lot of money to bury themselves there you know <laughs> and uh, it uh, and things like that then we went down to the Sea of we was down to the Sea of Galilee, and uh, you know, on these tours, there's usually well, the tour guides and our regular guide, and occasionally there's a there's kind of a joke. So we got down to the Sea of Galilee. As we were still on the bus, we rode up toward the front of the bus because I didn't want to. I, I get motion sickness, so I stayed up toward the front of the bus. 
The other thing I might mention on this tour, which was really great, was we each had an earpiece, and the guide had a mic. And so it didn't matter whether he's on the bus, whether he's on the streets or on the sites, you could always hear your tour guide. It didn't matter how much noise was about, and that was really wonderful. So when we got out of the Sea of Galilee, I asked our tour guide, this Armin, the Palestinian, I said, is the Sea of Galilee level? And he didn't catch on, and he said, yes, it is. And anyway, to experience the Sea of Galilee was a tremendous blessing. And our motel there was right on the sea, right on the edge. It was like little clusters of buildings, grass down to the Sea of Galilee. My wife and I and some others would sit there and read our morning devotions with our feet in the Sea of Galilee reading the Bible. How can you improve on that? And another blessing of God that, that very night when we was at the Sea of Galilee, I don't know why my wife and I didn't generally do this, but we took PM that night so we could sleep. I'm not sure if we was having aches and pains or what. And fighter jets screamed, Israeli fighter jets screamed where we was at, over us that woke up most of our tour, 11.30, 12 o'clock at night. And they were bombing Damascus, warehouses in Damascus, we found out the next morning. Just another way of being there in that close proximity but experiencing God's protection. On our tour, the uh, tour guide was always explaining how the Jews feel, how the Palestinians feel, and how the Syrians feel, and, and bringing in the perspectives. And on our last day in Israel, he, uh, the bus, they told us, you know, they butter, butter you up on these tours. They said, because you've been such a good group, we're going to take you to something where the tour buses don't usually go. And so we cut back a side road and for a couple miles and come to this battle site where the Israelis were in battle with Israel in recent times. Was it with, with Syria, I mean. Was it 73? I think 1973 they had a skirmish with, with Syria and there were some tanks there. We was within, what, 500 to 1,000 feet of one tank and maybe one, another tank was a couple thousand feet away. But the strange thing was there was cows in the road. And so uh, Gabby, the owner of the bus lines, told us why there were cows in the road. He said they got cows here to hunt the mines that the Syrians left. And he said, there's still some live mines out here in the field. And these cows are here to find the mines. And they refer to them as flying cows because you know, if the mine goes off, it gets the, gets the cows. So that was real interesting to see that. And the cows were just content to roam the road and didn't bother us and they went as, and when we left that site, they went back to their pasture. Then we went to, uh, I gotta hurry on, Jay.
We went to Israel. I mean, we went to Switzerland, toured France, Germany, and Switzerland. We had a Swiss tour guide. And uh, we visited various places of the Anabaptists where they were persecuted, where they were beheaded, where they were drowned. We were at the castle, and if any of you ever read the book, Not Regina, we were at that very castle. And we were in that dungeon, right where that, took, that story took place. And if you haven't read that book, you should read it. And we were there in the dungeon, and they had torture chambers. We climbed the castle, and there were torture chambers on every level, and they had an oven where they, where they would heat the tongs to torture the Christians. And it looked to me like they would lay the Christians down in this box and heat the tongs and torture them. And it, it's, you know, it, it was a moving experience. And we visited a couple farms. And one of the farms was a 15th generation of an Anabaptist that gave his life. And I need to stop. But last Sunday morning, we was at a Reformed church in uh, Interlaken, Switzerland. And we walked a half an hour. What, what church was it? It wasn't a Reformed church. I'm not sure what church it was, but the local minister was just the moderator and a preacher from London was there because he comes over occasionally and preaches for the tourists. I'm sorry, I don't know what kind of church it was. Does any of you all on the tour know? Anyway, we were blessed, and the message was from the book of Ephesians. And the moderator minister, we walked a half an hour from a motel to this church, and the moderator minister, when he got up, he said, now listen, he said, and it was in a neighborhood in town, and there were houses on both sides, and we had to go to an upper room like the, the, the uh, auditorium was about half the size of this, and they don't have air conditioning in that part of Switzerland. We didn't even in our motel. We had to open up the windows and turn on a fan in at night. It was really cool. But anyway, he said, due to the complaints from the community, we close our windows before we sing. Isn't that something? We, we think we got freedom. But, and so they closed the windows, and we sang. And of course, as soon as we got done singing, people wanted to open up the windows because it was getting stuffy. And we sang maybe, what, a half a dozen thongs throughout the service. And every time we would sing, we would close the windows due to respect to the neighbors. And then we'd open them again after that. Thank you for your prayers and God bless. I guess it was four years ago, Sal and I had the opportunity to go to Israel as well. And I echo what Brother Elam said. It just brings the Bible alive. You go there and you, or you read scripture and then you think about the things that happen at various places and just brings the Bible alive. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today as needy people. We recognize our need. Father, as a speaker, I'm needy. 
and we have needy people. Father, I just pray that you'll minister to our needs. Lord, just like the little boy who prepared a lunch at the Sea of Galilee, Father, I pray that you'll take the little boy's lunch today and you will meet the needs of this congregation. Father, defeat the purposes of Satan. Help us to hear from you. And Lord, more than hear, help us to apply what we hear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, there are many difficult challenges that we face in life. However, I submit to you that one of the greatest challenges we face encompasses the distance between one end of the ruler and the other end of the ruler. Here's a ruler. It's about 12 inches in between one end of the ruler to the other end of the ruler, and that's the approximate distance between your head and your heart. God's word underscores the same problem. Where it says in James chapter 4 verse 17, this is a text. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. So to him that knoweth to do good, that would indicate someone who possesses truth on an intellectual level. The problem is not one of comprehension, but rather one of transferring truth from its current location to its intended destination, which is here at the heart, from the head to the heart. And there seems to be a disconnect between head knowledge and follow-through, specifically Obedience. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. The title of the message this morning, The High Cost of Neglect. You and I know what neglect means. Neglect on a physical level can be very expensive. And I tried to think of some illustrations of neglect and some of you men on the farm or others, I'm sure you can identify with this. If you are running a two-cycle engine with gas only, with no oil, what happens? Anybody? What? Correct. It locks up. There's no oil. That's neglect. Um, and maybe some of you chicken farmers like me, we can be going around and we have a lot of on our agenda, a lot on our plate. We're walking by a chicken house fan and we hear the bearings are starting to squeal a little bit more than we, we know they should. A fan has, you know, does have noise, but when the bearings, uh, they may uh, be short or not, they're having problems with the bearings, they're making more noise. And you think, I've got 10 other things today. I, I don't have time to fix that. Uh, anybody chicken farm? I'm going to say I have been there. I know what it's like to have fan bearings. And if you don't take care of those fan bearings, instead of just having a couple dollars to fix the bearings, then you may be replacing a whole hub and assembly. And it costs you far more. That's the high cost of neglect. I had to ask Sally, what is it that ladies might struggle with? She said, well, it could be a sewing machine that's running rough because 
that the oil has not been applied. And if you run it long enough, it'll probably lock up too. That would be the high cost of neglect. But you know, neglect on a physical level can cost many dollars and many cents. However, neglect on a spiritual level is devastating. It could cost our soul for all eternity. The high cost of neglect. I'd like, if you would, to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 17. The first point of the message is godly, God's regulations for a king. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 16 to 20. I'm going to try to move through fairly quickly. I know you're looking forward to going to a fellowship meal. I'll try to move, move through this sermon fairly quickly. Deut Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 to 20. God's regulations for a king. <clears throat> but he, he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses, forasmuch as the Lord has saith unto you, ye shall henceforth forth return no more that way. Secondly, neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of the kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests the Levites. And it shall be with him and he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and to keep all the words of the law and these, test and these statutes to do them. Take his heart that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Obviously, we know it was not God's desire for Israel to have a king, but if they were so determined that they were going to be like the nations around them, God gave specific instructions, and we have that here. Number one, they were not to multiply horses. Horses was a symbol of military strength. Secondly, they were not to return to Egypt because of the ungodly influence, the symbol of the world. Thirdly, they were not to multiply wives. Why? Because of their ungodly influence. And fourthly, they were not to multiply silver and gold because mankind is not to trust in earthen riches. And it seems like these first four things that are listed here are all in the negative sense. Do not, do not, do not, do not do these things. But verse 18 is on the other side of the coin. Positive things that the king was supposed to do. What was he to do? Number one, he was to write a copy of the law. Secondly, he was to keep a copy with him. He was to read it thirdly every day. And fourthly, he was to consider himself equal with his brothers. So what about, I'd like to consider Solomon this morning, thinking about Solomon and his, his beginning as a king. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. Verse 5. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. 
Drop down to verses 7 to 10. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And notice how he views himself. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. What was his request? Verse 9, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And, he, and the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. What a beautiful beginning from this man, Solomon. Verse 3 would tell us that Solomon loved the Lord. And it's my understanding, I don't have this in my notes, but if I understand right, God said of Solomon, he said, I'm going to love him his whole life. I'm not going to take the love that I had away from him like I did Saul. Is, is that right? Uh, this is not in my notes, but is that right? Didn't God say he would love Solomon his whole life and he wouldn't take his love away like he did Saul? Well, y'all can check. I think that's correct. You can check me up on me for that. Anyway, Solomon, he followed the teachings of his father David. And in verse 4, he sacrificed a thousand sacrifices, a lavish response from Solomon. Verse 7, Solomon demonstrated great humility. He said, I'm only a little child. I don't know how to, to do this work of serving as king. I don't know how to do it. I'm just a little child. In verse 9, he asked for a discerning heart, for wisdom and judgment. And then verses 12 to 13, God was pleased. And he gave Solomon what he asked for. He gave him wisdom for discernment. And more than that, he gave riches and he gave him long life. He gave him honor and he gave long life, more than what he asked for. So what a blessing. This man had tremendous blessing from God. But what about the high cost of neglect? What happened in Solomon's life? Third point of the message is Solomon's compromise. And so I ask you the question, why did Solomon's kingdom implode? Most of you are aware, I would assume, most of you are aware that a few days ago there was a submersible that was traveling down underneath the ocean, I mean the, the surface of the ocean, 12,000 feet down to the Titanic. And this submersible collapsed, and it, it imploded. And I found it very interesting. I, I went yesterday and I typed into the computer, did the crew bypass any safety uh, precautions or anything? And I will quote this to you. The company whose submersible went missing had a history of questions over its equipment safety, included from a former submarine pilot who said he was fired after raising concerns about the vessel's structural integrity. Evidently, the crew that was running this submersible, it had been down to the, 
ocean floor many times. It had been there at the Titanic, and I'm not sure how many, but many times. But over a period of time, all this pressure, uh, there was metal fatigue, evidently, and there was a man that challenged them, you need to have this thing tested. And the crew did not want to follow through because it's expensive and everything, and five people lost their life. Why did they? The high cost of neglect. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 12, Therefore let him that think he standeth take heed lest he fall. The high cost of neglect. What happened to Solomon's respect and reverence for Almighty God that he had early in his reign? And of all the four things that God told the kings and Solomon not to do, Solomon did those things anyway. He multiplied horses. He didn't, and he returned to Egypt, and he multiplied wives, and he multiplied silver and gold. All the things that God said, don't do that. He did it. And it's speculation on my part, but the four things that God told Solomon to do, I believe he neglected to follow through. Now, if you want to challenge me at the end of the service, you're welcome to do that. But why do I say that? He was told to write a copy of the law. He was told to keep the law with him. He was told to read it every day and consider himself an equal with his brethren. But it seems to me that the four things that Solomon was told to do, he neglected to follow through. So whether by default or by conscious decision, Solomon's choices of neglect were disastrous not only to him and his family, but to, to the nation at large, the nation of Israel. And I submit to you that there was a high cost of neglect. <clears throat> what blessings did Solomon have go going for him? Number one, he was loved by God. Secondly, God placed him in, in a godly family. It reminds me of the lines have fallen into me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. And God empowered and equipped him for the job that, that he was called to do. So I want to ask you, as you think of, of him, what about us? What blessings did you have? Is your situation not similar to Solomon? Aren't you loved of God? God placed you in a godly family, and he's empowered or equipped you to, to fulfill the duties that God has called you to. And I ask another question. Are there challenges and temptations and distractions similar to what Solomon faced? Do you and I face very similar challenges, distractions, temptations? And I would say a resounding yes. We face very similar distractions that Solomon did. And I would ask you another question. Has God provided the resources for you to be faithful today? in 2023. Number four, item, the uh, last point of the message, God's regulations for you and me. The ones that was given to the kings and to Solomon, it seems like the don't do these things came first and then the do. If you will allow me, I'd like to reverse the do's and the don'ts. 
Why do I do that? Because I'm remembering a quote that came from Richard Hur some years ago. He said this, salvation always precedes righteousness. It's not, you do not have the ability or the power in your life to be faithful and to, to be able to live a Christian life until you do the things in the right order. Salvation always precedes righteousness. And if you want an illustration, I'm not going to plan to turn to it, but look at Paul's experience in Romans chapter 7. He said, the things that I want to do or I couldn't do, and the things that I didn't want to do, those things I did. In Romans 7, power, Paul did not have the power to be faithful and to be able to follow through in a Christian experience because he hadn't accepted Christ like he should. But notice what happened in chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who walk in Christ. And at that point, Saul had the power to follow through. So very quickly, I'm going to go through these. I'd like to think of four do's and four don'ts. Not for the kings, not for Solomon, but for you and me. The first one would be, ye must be born again. Salvation always precedes righteousness. John chapter 3, verse 7. I'm not going to turn to all these because of lack of time this morning. Ye must be born again. Nicodemus came to Jesus and Jesus said, ye must be born again. It's imperative that we have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ to receive the power to live the Christian life. Secondly, do is to love God and love your neighbor. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, well, he said, you do this and do this and do this. And the rich young ruler said, I've done all those things ever since I was a boy. And Jesus said, yep, that there's one thing that you like. And then he said um, that the most important is to love God and then love your neighbor. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. Important to love God. What should we do? Love God and love our neighbor. Thirdly, what should we be doing? Make seeking God a priority. And I underlined this in my notes because it seemed like somewhere along the line, Solomon neglected to make seeking God a priority. He was so busy. You could turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and chapter 3 and you can find all the things that Solomon was involved in. And he said, they're vanity and vexation of spirit. And it seems like he was not making, seeking God a priority. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What's another thing we ought to be do, doing? Uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy and forsake not the assembling of yourselves. Hebrews 10, 25 would say, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Those are four things that you and I should be doing. Why? Because of the high cost of neglect. We need to, to be doing these things. Number, 
The second thing I'd like for us to consider is four don'ts. And I could, could read all these for you. Maybe I'll return to this one. The first don't that we ought to be thinking about is do not love the world. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If a man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Do not love the world. And brothers and sisters, I included T-E-C-H, technology. Do not love technology. And I will tell you that I have a real concern, not only for our congregation, but I have a concern for Jay in this area. I have tried to be careful that on the computer usage that I'm not accessing something essential. I try to be very careful about that. But I will admit to you that I do enjoy knowing what's going on. And maybe to a, a point that maybe is faulty. And I have tried, I'm trying to spend less time just finding out what's going on in the world because if you click on that thing it kind of leads so there's another thing that pops up and something else and we spend more time and maybe things that are becoming a little more in, inappropriate for us to be viewing and taking a lot of time and for what it's worth don't love the world and be careful about the amount of time you spend on technology and and to what level and to what you're accessing Number two, what should we not be doing? Do not covet. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, the Bible says that life consists not in the abundance of our possessions. So let's be careful. We know, as you viewed Solomon's life, did his possessions make him happy and fulfilled? Absolutely not. Thirdly, Beware of your associates. Bad company, are God's word, in, it's not in the King James, I don't think. I think this might be from the NIV. But I'm telling you to beware of your associates. Why? Because of their influence. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. And, you know, I had to think about what Solomon was told, don't multiply wives. What do he have? 700 wives and 300 concubines? And what happened? That influence drove him away, away from God, far away from God. Beware of your associates. Number four, seek not the praise of men. And I don't have a specific verse, but Matthew chapter 23 talks about how the scribes and the Pharisees, they wanted to do things. And the Bible says they... Everything they did was for one purpose, and that was the praise of men. Brothers and sisters, to you and to me, let's not be so concerned about the praise of men. Let's give our thoughts and our focus to being approved of the Father. I'm speaking of this Father. What's some other guidelines? I just throw three more in here. 
thinking for you youth, you that are growing up in homes especially, there's three things I'd like to share with you, and this could be for all of us. Number one, be obedient to your father and your mother, to God and to his word. Be obedient to your authority figures. Number two, be honest. Number three, be respectful. I believe every person here or even in the world is worthy of respect. Jesus died for every one of them. Should we respect others? Be obedient. Be honest. Be respectful. In conclusion, Satan is busy and he realizes his time is short. And he'll do everything within his power to distract us from God and his word. I believe Satan desired to do that to Solomon. Satan desires to distract us from what's most important. Um, this is a challenge for me. Spend time with God. Seek his face. And may God help us to retain our focus on him each and every day. I believe that's a vaccine against neglect. And if you are willing to keep your focus on God and his word, I submit this verse unto you. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. There may be a high cost of neglect, but may God give us the focus and to seek him daily and to follow his word, not only from our head, but down to our heart. May God give us a desire to follow him wholeheartedly. And the Lord bless each of you, and shall we have a song?